0: As We come now before the very Word of God. If you'd like to read with me, we'll be this morning in Genesis chapter 9. We'll continue on here into chapter 9. But before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, you are the God who is seated above the heavens, with a throne like sapphire and, a, and glory like fire. You are the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God to whom is due all honor forever. So Lord, we ask humbly from you that you would make us to honor you as we hear and receive your word. Guide my speaking of it and guide our listening of it that you would be lifted up high above all. We ask your help in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Genesis chapter 9. We have a good number of verses here, but we'll begin in verse 8. Genesis chapter 9, beginning in verse 8. Then God said to Noah, and to his sons with him. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. This is the word of God. Now, we've come here finally to the close of the flood narrative. This is the last word on the flood. It is not the last word of this whole section, which is under the title The Generations of Noah. There's still one remaining scene with Noah as a sort of epilogue to the flood. That's where Noah gets drunk and naked and curses his sons. That should be fun. Uh, that's, uh, That's next week. What we have at hand today is the tail end of the flood and and perhaps one of the most widely recognized aspects of the flood. We're going to take a look at the rainbow. We all know what rainbows are, you know. Rainbows are, are things that most people have seen. And when you see one, you normally have to point it out to somebody else. Look, a rainbow, especially it's of the double kind. You know, rainbows are one that every kid knows how to draw. In fact, if you draw a rainbow, I would love to see one afterward. Rainbows are things that culture even sometimes adopts. Certain communities even have adopted rainbows as symbols on their flags. That's not what we're taking up. Here we see this rainbow given by God for a very particular purpose. And we're going to follow that rainbow to see where God will take us. Now, if you were listening closely, you might have noticed that my English translation of the Bible does not use the full word rainbow anywhere in the text of what I've just read. Instead, if you're listening, we just hear the word bow. For instance, in verse 13, God says, I have set my bow in the cloud. And there's a very specific reason for wording it that way. Some translations, of course, use the word rainbow, and that's fine, that's true, that's what this is that we're looking at. But to call it a rainbow would miss the double meaning of the bow that's intended in the text. Because a bow in the Bible usually refers to something other than a rainbow. In almost every other time that we see this Hebrew word for bow in the Old Testament, 70 plus times in the the scriptures, it doesn't refer to a rainbow, but refers to a weapon. As in, a bow and arrow. The thing that you might use to hunt or to battle with. And so here, in this scene with Noah, we have these two senses Bundled together. When God says, I have set my bow in the clouds, he means I have hung up a rainbow. He also means I have hung up my weapon. I have hung up my bow. In other words, it's retired, it will never be used for this particular purpose again. Now, this is not to say that it was wrong for God to use this weapon of his bow. You know, the flood, as graphic, tragic as it is sometimes, the flood event is justified. The flood is God's righteous response to the rampant outspread of sin on the earth. So when God's hanging his bow up here, this is not a moment of repentance. He's not regretting his action in the flood. This is not to say that God shouldn't use his bow, but that God won't use his bow. At least not in the sense that, that, uh, that he will he will forever refrain from this sweeping judgment on the earth by way of water. He will never again flood and destroy all flesh. Which means that the contrast between rain and rainbow that we're seeing here, at the tail end of the narrative, this contrast is not about a, ha- a, a difference between happy and sad things. That's often how people think of rainbows and rain, how they're talked about metaphorically. This contrast is not about happy and sad, it's about mercy and judgment. So, just as the rain clouds have been an expression of God's judgment, so the rainbow is an expression of God's mercy. It's actually reminding us of both mercy and judgment. Whenever we see the bow in the clouds, it's not just pretty colors to look at, although I do like to look at them. It's a show of the judgment that might have been, but isn't. It shows us both the judgment and the mercy. And this rainbow here serves a very important function. It is the sign Of the covenant. It's talked about that way a few times, but in verse 13 we hear, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now, what does that mean? We've already taken, you know, recently a good amount of time talking about the covenant and various covenants throughout the Bible, but covenant is a hugely, critically important part of the scriptures, how God is relating to us, so it's good that we just kind of briefly remind ourselves of some of the main points of these things again. Some main pieces of covenant that we see, again, expressed here is that covenant is divinely initiated. That is, covenant here is from God. This is God's covenant with man, not man's covenant with God. This is not something that was asked for, begged for, solicited, or negotiated by Noah or anybody else. God is the one who determines the covenant, details the covenant, and establishes the covenant on his conditions. It's divinely initiated. Covenants also have a covenant head. Or a covenant representative. That is, there is one figure, in this case, Noah, in the New Testament, Jesus. There's one figure through whom all the benefits of the covenant come to everyone else. So, the first time he mentions it in this section in verse 9, he says, Initially, I'm going to establish my covenant with you, Noah. And that blessing, you'll be the one that takes it to the many. That covenant eventually goes through you to all your offspring, to every living creature. It'll be for all future generations. It's even going to be for all the earth itself. All of these things will be blessed in the covenant through Noah, who is the singular covenant representative. So covenants divinely initiated, there's a a covenant representative through whom the covenant comes, and then there's the terms of the covenant, the operative parts, the requirements and promises that are embedded in the covenant. And some covenants are what we call bilateral. That is, a bilateral covenant has requirements from both parties. You do this, you do this. This one is not a bilateral covenant. It's a unilateral covenant. The promises here only go one direction. If you were to get real grammar nerdy, which I often do, and look at all the verbs in this entire section, I know, thrilling, right? If you looked at all the verbs, you would see that every single one of the verbs here has the subject I, The Lord. All of these things are things that God will do. There's not a single thing that's asked for, required of, or expected of Noah in this covenant. All the promises are enacted by God here. Noah is just the happy recipient of what God will do. So God not only sets the terms of the covenant he also fulfills the terms of the covenant. So even even though the world is going to continue to remain in sin and in rebellion against God, God has covenant-promised a degree of mercy. There is a sense in which he has hung up his bow Now, most of that we've unpacked recently, although it's good to hear it again. What we have not had a chance to unpack yet, and which we see today in relation as a covenant as a new aspect of this, is the role of the rainbow or the bow as the sign of the covenant. We don't just see a covenant, we see a sign of the covenant, And a sign in the Scripture is this. If you're a note-taker, here you go. A sign is a visible mark that manifests a particular thing. A sign's a visible mark that manifests a particular thing. So this doesn't just have to be in relation to covenant. Signs aren't just for covenants. They can visibly mark lots of different things. God gives all sorts of signs for all sorts of purposes all over the Bible. So we see the sign, for example, uh, of the mark of Cain so that he won't be murdered. We see the sign of circumcision. You see the sign in Exodus of the, the Nile water getting turned into blood, the sign of all the ten plagues of Egypt, the the blood on the doorpost at Passover so the people inside won't be killed is a sign, the fleece that's set out by Gideon to determine what to do, whether it's wet or dry, that's a sign, the, when the sun shadow is turned backward up the steps of the king, that's a sign, the son who's born of a virgin is a sign, baptism is a sign, the Lord's Supper is a sign, even the resurrection of Jesus, after he's been dead three days, is a sign. I could go on. Signs are everywhere in the Bible. And some of these signs, many of them, are supernatural things. Things that we might call miraculous. Unexplainable in any way apart from God. Other signs are natural things. That is, things where God has taken ordinary means of nature to use his purposes. So the point of a sign isn't just the wow factor. It's not just something to be amazing or seemingly impossible. The point of a sign is this. It's to be visible. It's a visible mark given by God to signify a particular thing. So in the case of the sign of the rainbow in Genesis, this isn't necessarily the first time anyone has ever seen a rainbow in the sky. This may not have been the first appearance of a rainbow ever. It could have been the first rainbow in history, but this could also be something, you know, Noah's maybe seen hundreds of rainbows in his lifetime before. He's, you know, the rains stopped almost a year ago by this point. Maybe he's seen several in the time since then. Maybe there were even rainbows over Adam and Eve in the garden. It doesn't really matter. The text does not tell us whether this is the first rainbow ever or not. What's new is that this is the first time here and forever after that the rainbow is marked as a sign of God's covenant. So this natural, visible phenomenon in the sky is now attached to particular God-given promises. And the bow, as the sign of the covenant, is not just promises that are given to God's own people, as is the case in the new covenant through Jesus, The sign of this covenant is to promise a degree of mercy and common grace to all people. And he gives it shows it by way of a sign. Now why does God give a sign with his covenant? Why does God give a sign with his covenant? Because it's significant for us that the sign of the covenant isn't a strictly necessary part of the covenant. Right? You could could take out the sign of the covenant and the covenant would still be intact. The covenant's going to be just as valid whether there's even a sign with it to begin with. So God could have said to Noah just what he says in verse 11. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Period. The end. He could have just stopped there. That's a covenant, a complete covenant. And God is true, he is true to his word, and that is enough. And yet he adds to it a sign. The sign doesn't improve upon the covenant. That is, it's not just there to make sure that the covenant's going to be fulfilled. You know, God is the one who fulfills it. God does say that he's going to remember his covenant, whenever he sees the bow in the clouds. But, but that's not to say that God would have forgotten about it without the rainbow, you know? He, he's not setting this rainbow up as sort of, you know, the, the red string around your finger. Does anyone else do this? Some way do you re- remember things? He ties a big rainbow around his finger so that he remember that he made this covenant. It's not like God's just got this huge bucket of cosmic water that he's getting ready to dump on the earth, and then he's, oh, a rainbow, oh, yeah. I promised I wouldn't do this, and so he sets it off to the side. We, we know that that's not the case. When God says he'll remember the covenant, when God talks about remembering, it's not, not about what he knows, but about what he does. To remember for God is to act on something. So when God remembered Noah, he acted on Noah's behalf. So now for God to remember the covenant is that he'll act, enact his promises, and God is going to enact his promises with or without a sign. He doesn't need the sign to do that. God is always faithful and will do what he says. So if the sign isn't strictly necessary, and it's not really an improvement on the covenant, then why does God add the sign the reason for the sign here is not because it benefits God the reason for the sign is not because it benefits the covenant itself it's because the sign benefits us And the way that the sign benefits us is through our eyes. It is the nature of a sign to be visible. A sign is meant to be seen. So a sign makes the invisible visible. Let me give you an example. Say there's a, a a woman who goes out to the bar with her friends. It's a Friday night. She's single and ready to mingle. Gonna have a good time. Open to maybe meeting someone. I don't know. And 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 across the way, she sees this man sitting uh, across the room by himself. Ooh, he's handsome. Uh, this man's about her age you know from what she can tell across the way he seems to be kind respectful you know he laughs every so often looks cute when he does it he's got some sort of warm sense of humor it seems like he is the exactly her type the kind of man that she would want to go on a date with and so her friend notices that this woman has seen this guy and the friend says hey you should go over to him and, and exchange phone numbers and the woman says No, he's married. Now, how might she know that? We know, right? As soon as he catches her eye, what's the next place she's going to start looking? Right here. She's got an eagle eye on that left hand trying to see if I can across the crowd of looking for this tiny piece of metal gleam on his finger. And mm, there it is. Now what, this man is married whether he actually wears his wedding ring or not. Right? The ring is not the thing that makes him married and he doesn't become unmarried if he takes it off. But... The ring is the visible sign of the invisible covenant of marriage. The sign has made the invisible visible. And so, a rainbow, the sign of the covenant, does a similar thing to make the invisible visible. We do not see, cannot see the promise of God. Those are words. But we can see the bow of God. We do not see the mercy of God. But we can see the bow of God. We do not even see God. But we can see God's bow. He has set this up as a visible sign for us. The sign of the bow is made to be seen, but, here's the kicker, not always. Right? Not always. If we were to step outside right now and look up in the sky, we're not going to see a rainbow. At least, as far as I know, you probably will now that I've said that. Uh, But you're not going to see a rainbow. Rainbows are don't happen every day. They're fairly not rare, but infrequent. But God could have done different than that, right? God could have established a sign that would have been permanent like marked a rainbow in the sky permanently. Or he could have set up a bow as a sign on some sort of daily rotation. You know how the sun rises and sets, the north star is visible, and then it's not? Hey, we've got some daily rotational reminder of the covenant. But that's not what he does. Instead, he gives us a sign that is only revealed at certain times. The covenant itself always remains in effect, Just like a marriage is always there whether the ring is visible or not. The covenant's in effect day, night, rain, shine from Noah throughout eternity. But the sign of the covenant is only revealed when God brings clouds over the earth, it says. Which means that the the visible rainbow is usually coupled with rain clouds. The sign of the covenant is only revealed at key moments when there is judgment also on the horizon. This visible reminder of the covenant, this expression of God's promise of mercy, is then given, shown to us, when we need the reminding the most. Now, when it comes to matters of God, we know that we approach things that are both seen and unseen, visible and invisible. There are matters of faith that our eyes can look at, but our sight only goes so far. We know that. And for some of us, Maybe even most of us at various points, that engagement with the unseen aspects of things might be a source of doubt. It might cause us to wrestle or at least wonder how can I really know? Is God really real in this? Is this really true? Is a rainbow really a sign of the mercy of God in covenant or is it just a really colorful refraction of sunlight through droplets and nothing more? You know, there's much about God that we cannot see that's hidden from our eyes. But the Bible's response to those unseen aspects aren't just, bah, Shut your eyes and just try to trust. Just push through and and stir up some faith. That's not the response. The response is, I know you can't see some things, but look at what can be seen. So even just in this text, we're given the sign of the rainbow in the clouds. Noah is, we all are, but that's not the only sign here. Noah himself lives as a sort of unofficial sign to all of us as well. You know, the fact that, that Noah foreknew about the flood decades before it occurred and then built this ark so that he and his family and all the animals would be saved while the rest are blotted on the earth, the very fact that that occurred is some visible confirmation that Noah had heard from some invisible but very real God. He's a manifestation of God in that sense. And there are many signs like that throughout the pages of the scriptures, leading up to the greatest of them all, Jesus, who is described as the image of the invisible God. Jesus has made the invisible visible. And he said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is one of the most well-attested figures in all of human history. There were many thousands of people on earth who have seen him and all of his wonders and signs, not only saw him, but also heard him, touched him, followed him, and they were so convinced that he was the true son of God who was alive, dead, and alive again, that they were willing to give up their own lives in the midst of great persecution. We're now able to to look at this great cloud of witnesses as a sort of sign to us, as a visible reminder of God's faithfulness. Now, some people may still say, ah, but you know, I still just I just want to see Jesus once with my own eyes. Just once. Just one little peek. Just so I'll know. And let me tell you, (laughs) me too. (laughs) I'd love that too. But that is not mine to give. Not every sign is always visible to everyone all the time. I can only give us a glimpse through the eyes of other people who have seen him visibly, and there's one glimpse of Jesus in particular that's fitting, given the context we're talking about with Noah and the sign of the Covenant. This glimpse would show us where Jesus is right now. Do you ever wonder, where is Jesus right now? When I talk to him, where is he and what is he doing? John gives us a glimpse of this in the book of the Revelation where is it chapter 4 and yes chapter 4 verse 1 I want you to listen for what's going on around the throne John says after this I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven hmm. and the first voice which I'd heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here I'll show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. In this little glimpse, we see a vision of God with a rainbow wrapped around the throne of God, this rainbow that stands between Him and all of us. God God has graciously given us visible things to trust the invisible things. So whenever we see a visible sign of the bow in the clouds, let's look not just at it, but through it, to see the greater things beyond it, to catch just a glimpse of the judgment of God against sin that might have been, a glimpse of the mercy of God that he's promised in covenant, and a glimpse, really, of Jesus who is on his throne and awaits the day that he will come again with the clouds and every eye will see him. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you be so kind to us that you would give us eyes to see to see visible things when we can and to have faith to see invisible things when we can't see. Lord, we thank you for your mercy that you have withheld the weapon of your bow and not destroyed us all. Help us to increase our trust in you, to look to you for all things. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.